This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Megan Kelly, welcome to the Megan Kelly Show. Hunter Biden demands a criminal probe into the laptop he spent the last few years telling us wasn't even his. Now he's super duper angry that people are spreading around his private information. This guy, is he still on drugs? What is happening? How I love the news. I love being in the news business. And, and this is the kind of story. Why? Like, we just spent how, how many intelligence officials? It's this disinformation. No, right? <laughs> now he's filing lawsuits for the dissemination of his private information, including against the legally blind computer repairman who had it as abandoned property to begin with. That's how we first got our hands up. It's you can't make this stuff up. OK, in other news, we'll get to uh, Don Lemon reportedly getting in trouble for screaming at his female co-anchor, Caitlin Collins. We've got the tape uh, that was reportedly the center of the dispute. And we'll tell you what CNN is saying about it. And we've got a new example of Disney trying to turn America's youth into social justice warriors. This goes back to the like, don't just sit your kid in front of the TV. It is not Mr. Rogers anymore. Abby's shaking her head. Yes, she's got two little girls. They're very young. She thought she could put them in front of what was it? Red Panda turning red, turning red whatever. Now, next thing you know, her two year olds getting a lecture on periods. <laughs> Be careful. Beware the mouse. Joining me now to discuss it all. Jesse Kelly, host of The Jesse Kelly Show. And I'm right. Jesse, welcome back. Great to have you. Megan, I feel like this is going to make me sound old, but I have two boys, too. And I know exactly what Abby is going through because I used to, like, when I grew up, when we were kids, I remember the cousins would come over to the house on Friday night, and the parents would eventually kick us all downstairs, and we were all done. And we would turn on ABC. I'm almost positive it was ABC. Thank God it's Friday, ABC. And we would sit and watch Full House and Family Matters and all these shows that were just normal families and they taught you know values don't steal don't lie that kind of a thing and it's it feel, i feel like i'm not that old but man i would never do that with my sons now not in a million no. years you couldn't no. you're 100 right my my uh, little guy thatcher he's nine he was just asking me mom what's your favorite television series ever and uh like he was looking specifically for a series and first I said The Practice, because I absolutely love that by David E. Kelly. I could watch that over and over and over. Uh, but then I corrected myself. I said, actually, my favorite ever was Little House on the Prairie. 
I watched it my entire childhood. And then he said, how, how long did you watch it? And I said, I got to be honest, I watched it through my young 30s. I was practicing law in Manhattan. It was like a stress reliever for me. I'd put it on. And it is. It's just like good values and good stories and sort of reinforcement in a family of family values. You know, it's crazy what they're putting on television today. It's insane. It, honestly, the commercials are worse than what they're putting on. Listen to how old we sound. But it's true. The, the <laughs> no, commercials are as bad feel, as anything I'm Tipper Gore. on the actual TV. <laughs> I, I think part of this is just I want to go back to bad America where and it's not that I want to park my kids in front of the TV all day. I would like it to be an option. I've got to go do some chores around the house. I, I can't watch it. Yeah. Can I leave you there for an hour? I would never do that. Now, I'd rather leave them with a table saw. <laughs> it's so true. Wait a minute. We might as well just go to that story because we're on it and it's shocking. It was being tweeted around today. Um, and let me just make sure I have my facts correct. Okay, so it's on the Disney Channel. It is a show called The Proud Family, Louder and Prouder, which is a reboot oh. from a series that first launched back in 2001. Uh, Disney it hit Disney Plus in early 2022. So season two just dropped. It's got 10 new episodes, and it's about a girl named Penny Proud and her family. All right, so this is supposed to be, according to Disney, laugh out loud stories while highlighting culturally specific experiences of the black community and addressing universal topics. Well, <laughs> okay, here's a little snippet of what Disney Plus is offering our children now as just a quick, quick look at, let's say, America. This country was built on slavery, which means slaves built this country. Tilled this land from sea to sea to sea. First there was rice, tobacco, sugar cane. Then Whitney did his thing and cotton became king. And we were its soldiers. Four million strong. Fighting for America's freedoms, even though we remained America's slaves. slaves. Built this country. The descendants of slaves continue to build this. Slaves, slaves built this country. And we, the descendants of slaves in America, have earned reparations for their suffering. And continue to earn reparations every moment we spend submerged in the systemic prejudice, racism, and white supremacy that America was founded with and still has not atoned for. We made your families rich. From the southern plantation heirs to the northern bankers to the New England ship owners, the founding fathers, former presidents, current senators, the Illuminati, the New World Order, slaves built this country. We had Tubman, Turner, Frederick D. Then they say Lincoln freed the slaves. But slaves were men. And women. And only we can free ourselves. Emancipation is not freedom. Jim Crow, segregation, redlining public schools feeding private prisons where we become slaves again as we celebrate juneteenth for the umpteenth time our account is still outstanding because this country was built on slavery which means slaves built this country and we demand our 40 acres and a mule you can keep the mule keep the 40 we're taking our freedom oh my god jesse you know megan <laughs> This this goes to something that I think actually the right, uh, if I can speak at least briefly for the right, has failed on. And I, I volunteer that I am very much part of this. I've been part of this. For for how many years has the right said things like you know, some idiot actor or actress will get up at the Oscars and give some crazy left wing political speech and will say something like no one cares what uh, George Clooney thinks or LeBron James will say something stupid. Well, no one cares what LeBron James thinks. Well, that's not true at all. If you go look at the following of these people, there are millions and millions and millions of people who do care. Entertainment is actually a critical cultural pillar. I mean, look, they were putting on plays in Roman times. We have TV now. It's part of 
guiding your culture for what you want them to be and what you don't want them to be. It's just more, more than anything, this is a reflection of what our culture has become. Just a big bunch of grievance mongering whiners. Everybody has something they hate about America. America sucks because of this and it sucks because of that. And again, they're started when the kids are as small as can be. Yeah. This is on Nickelodeon Junior. It's not just Disney Plus. Kids platforms across the board, they're all this filth now. This is filth. This is absolute filth. Reparations, and we still want reparations. Systemic prejudice, racism, white supremacy still hasn't been atoned for. We made you rich. I mean the anger that they put in the mouths of these little kids. Meanwhile, as if any little kid walking around America today is like, we want reparations. They're trying to plant these ideas early. Think about how crazy this is. Somebody like you've been on the Manhattan legal scene. That's about as cutthroat business world as cutthroat business world gets. How crazy is it, Megan, that Disney is coming fresh off a year where board members, CEO had the CEO got the got the axe. Board members are sitting there looking at profit loss sheets showing $140 billion gone. Imagine having to present that to your board and how you're going to turn that around. And after all that, after all those losses, they choose to double and triple down on everything that has turned off American families. It's honestly a little bit scary if you think about it, how many high-powered jobs there are that operate with no regard for their job or no regard for the fiduciary responsibility to the shareholder at all. It's all activism all the time. It's crazy that this is allowed to go on in the boardroom. It's like they're trying to make these children hate America, hate America. It's literally the opposite of what you get in China, where it's like mandatory um, nationalism, mandatory, you know, homage to the flag, which uh, pieces of it are appealing. Uh, this is the opposite, trying to make them hate the country from a very tender age. And honestly, just the racism of it. OK, so this is a this is a channel that's supposed to appeal, I guess, to black families. Uh, what what black families? What, what are they just assume black families all hate America and want to talk about rep, demand reparations and how we've, we haven't made it past slavery? Like who 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 are the black families they're hanging out with? Well, that's actually a good, that's a good question, Megan, because this is a big problem we have in that America is so divided now. Now, that's a very common thing to say. We're, we're divided, we're divided. But let me, let me explain for a second. We have urban America. You know, you have L.A., New York, Chicago, and I love those cities, actually. I have a blast in all of them. But they are very, very separate and very different from the values of the vast sea of the land of America. If you look at like a congressional map of America, it's all red. You look at it and think, wow, that must be the most Republican country ever. But it's not because all the entertainment is only made in those tiny areas. And even the people who make these Disney shows and crap like that, they live, work and worship exclusively around people who share nothing in common with what people would consider to be flyover country. Therefore, there's no equal representation of values anymore on television because none of those people have any connection to how normal people live or what normal people go through. That's the truth. Mm, that's exactly right. They really need to get to flyover country like that Chinese balloon. <laughs> Can you believe oh, this? <laughs> the Chinese have been in flyover country more than the executives at Disney. <laughs> What's that, the most bizarre that, story, isn't it? It's so bizarre that we have now 24 plus hours. I, I believe they've known about it for 48 plus 24 plus hours of reporting on it. Why are we still reporting on a spy balloon? Why is this news whatsoever? How have we not shot this down? The Chinese 
didn't do this on accident. The Chinese are very clearly doing this on purpose. They, they, they didn't get well, whoopsie, whoops, we spilled our satellite in your airspace. They did this on purpose. They knew we would see it. They knew we would know about it. They're very clearly thumbing their nose at us, seeing if we'll do anything about it. And honestly, every second we wait matters a lot now. We look so pathetic. It should have been instant spy, uh, Chinese spy satellite vaporized. But instead, we look like we're going to hand ring about this. We better consult with our State Department people who went to Harvard about what, what does the book say is the smartest thing. Shoot it out of the sky. It's a message. Yeah. Even the information it's collecting up, up there is not as damaging as the message this is sending to the Chinese Communist Party that we're too pathetic to actually guard the airspace of the United States of America. This is how this crap begins. It begins small like this and it ends ugly. Mm, that's a very good point. And honestly, the thing is as big as three buses. So you're right. They had to know that we would see it. And as somebody who owns property in Montana, yeah, I object. <laughs> I object. I liked your idea. I saw on Twitter you said something to the effect of, no, we shouldn't shoot it down. People should line up and moon it. <laughs> I'm going to go to my little cabin in Montana, put a big middle finger on the top of it, or maybe I'll put a picture of the Uyghurs or something that'll irritate them. This is obnoxious. And of course, it's just them doing out in the open what they do behind the scenes 24-7. But I think the reason we're not doing anything is because Blinken, Secretary of State, is about go to go over there and meet with the Chinese leader. But this is absurd. He's thumbing the middle finger at us, and we're just cowering, saying, okay, okay, do what you want. Of course, it, it, it's a leverage move over Blinken, too. I had the exact same thought. As soon as I saw it, I was like, wait a minute, isn't Blinken going over there soon? As soon as I confirmed that, this is clearly one of those things where you're doing something prior to a business meeting or a merger or something like that, where you kind of try to Tommy Topper the guy on the way in the door to gain a little bit more leverage. That's all this is, is leverage. Wait, what's Tommy Topper? They, that's, isn't that a great thing? And they've done this <laughs> to us ever since Biden got elected. Remember, as soon as Biden got elected, they, they sat, we had to go send Blink and that idiot up there to sit down with the Chinese at that meeting. And they said, you have no authority here. You have no power over us here. They immediately started talking down to us as soon as China Joe and his son Hunter took the reins of power. And I still make a connection, Megan. And I know maybe I shouldn't make that connection, but I make a connection that China very clearly has blackmail information on the Biden family. Hunter, most definitely. We basically know that by now. You're telling me that doesn't ever go into Joe's mind or never goes into his consideration whenever China's once again tiptoeing up to that line, seeing where it is for us. I bet you money that backs him off sometimes. It takes me off. Now, my uh, my crack team is telling me we just got this in that Blinken just post postponed his trip. So that uh, ha -ha, take that we postpone it. But meantime, you got the former secretary of defense, Mark Esper, on TV today saying, OK, well, maybe maybe I would try to negotiate something or diplomatically resolve this. But here's what I would have done immediately after that failed. Listen. I'm surprised by this. I think it is a brazen act by the Chinese to do this. My interest would be not necessarily shooting it down, but bringing it, bringing it down so that we can capture the, the equipment and understand exactly what they do, they're doing. Are they taking pictures? Are they intercepting signals? What are they doing? And what is the level of uh, technical capability? It will tell us a lot about what they're trying to do, what they're trying to learn. Failing that, I would definitely shoot it down, uh, provided that there's no risk to people on the ground. And so at the political level, we have to push back. We have to defend American sovereignty and uh, we have to make clear to the Chinese that we're not going to tolerate. Yes. OK, correcting myself. He wasn't saying negotiate. He was saying get it so we can see what's on it. And short of that, 
blasted out of the sky. So he's on the same page as you are. But meanwhile, we're doing, um, oh, nothing. That's what we're doing. Nothing. Nothing. We're, we're embarrassing ourselves, Megan. We are doing that. And we're showing ourselves to be weak in front of one of these strong men. Like we, we've seen how well that's worked out historically. But I will point out something. And I don't want to be this guy to point fingers at everybody. All right. But if you're an American citizen sitting here worried about a Chinese spy balloon while you post videos on TikTok, may I suggest that you're probably already participating in a Chinese spying program. And maybe mm. that is actually more important to you personally than the big satellite hanging over the sky. That is Joe Biden's problem. Inviting China into your home is your problem. That's probably something we could all be a little better at, to be frank. Mm, it's not a bad point. It doesn't look like we are going to do anything, but this actually could be potentially compromising. I don't know. They say that in Montana, there's the 341st missile wing at Maelstrom Air Force Base, uh, one of three American Air Force bases that operate and maintain intercontinental ballistic missiles. But, you know, our experts are saying they don't think they're getting anything through this balloon that they couldn't have gotten through satellite. But even, even so, what the hell is it doing there? Like it's basically moved in where I'm going to share property taxes with it in the next six months. Well, I think it's got it's got to be more of a message than anything. And I actually grew up in Montana. I know, like you said, you have some land up there and we, it, it's common knowledge. It's not as if, like you just pointed out, they're gaining new information by pictures taking place from up above. My old man was driving me past these missile silo locations when we were going deer hunting when I was 15 years old. This is common knowledge that China certainly knows about. If idiot 15-year-old Jesse knew about it, I promise the Chinese <laughs> Communist Party does. So it's not as if they're gaining important information. That's why this is clearly just a big up yours. It's a big middle finger. It's what will you do about it, Joe? How far can we push America? And this is, this is as they're doing flybys daily of Taiwan. They're basically wargaming Taiwan at Taiwan, which shows you they're gearing up to do something I think, and I, I'm really bummed out about this for what this might mean. I, I'm not quite so sure we're going to get through the next two years of Joe's presidency without China popping off on something significant. Mm, it's scary. I know, especially with the whole Russia-Ukraine thing and our focus there and our money there and our military assets going there. Um, so you may be tough on yourself at age 15, Jesse, but I bet at your worst, at your most uh, knuckleheaded you were not the knucklehead that Hunter Biden is. Your dad, Ugh. he's he'd take a Jesse Kelly any day over that son. And the news gets worse and worse. So let me just start with this. This isn't like the thing they're trying to distract from. But I I do feel it bears mention that there was a story yesterday that the, the son of the sitting president was caught on tape, like one of the other things he had on his laptop, asking some assistant to put a camera on herself in the shower so he could get off watching her. He managed to get her into bed. He filmed it. There's pictures of him like behind her. It's just absolutely every story about him is absolutely disgusting. He's a disgusting, loathsome human being, right? He's what they wanted to make Don Trump Jr. into, but never could. That's what Hunter is. But really, they're worried about the Hunter influence peddling scheme with China. I mean, that's that's where the real story is. What what were they paying him for? What did they get in return? And as that story ramps up, because House Republicans now have control of the House, we get Hunter Biden fighting back. Jesse, he's fighting. He's he's sick and tired. He's not going to take it anymore. So he's actually threatening legal action, purporting to be you know trying to get criminal authorities involved, potential civil actions 
against Fox, against the computer repair guy and others. He's really pissed off at Marco Polo. You ever use Marco Polo, that social media app? My one friend, Joelle, loves it. She's like, MK, send me a message on Marco Polo. It's basically just you talking, and then you send a video of yourself talking. It's You could do the same thing on your iPhone messaging. Uh, he's mad about par- Marco Polo because apparently they participated. They posted some laptop contents. Anyway, I could go down the list, but the point is he's trying to look like a tough guy now, and it's a total s- shift in strategy from what we've had the past Three years? How what was what was the date of the New York Post posting the laptop? Disinformation. Now it's now it's his suddenly, Jesse, and he's the victim. It's starting to smell a little bit like a railroad out of politics job for Joe Biden to me. And this is what I mean by it, Megan. As soon as I saw that, that he was trying to bring up criminal charges, Tucker Carlson and all kinds of people like that. I thought to myself, this reeks like actually desperation more than anything else. Because think about how much work the federal government has done to cover for the Bidens. This is something people forget about when we talk about Hunter and the laptop. An important thing to understand is the Federal Bureau of Investigation had possession of the Hunter Biden laptop and knew what was on it in 2019. Prior to the election, the Federal Bureau of Investigation knew that Hunter Biden was tied in with his father and knew he had some Shady, to put it mildly, ties with criminal, hostile criminal actors, foreign actors. The FBI knew this, and they chose to cover up all this information on behalf of the Biden family. This is an FBI cover-up. That's the story here. So they cover it up. Then they intercept, because they're spying on everybody involved, they intercept the fact that the New York Post is getting ready to run with the story on their cover-up. Then they choose to go public with all of it. And then the classified documents began to be found, except they're all being found right now by Democrats. You notice that, Megan? It's not Republican operatives low crawling into Joe Biden's garage in Delaware and, and with, with little pen lights in the middle of the night, finding which documents are classified like in the movies. These are all Democrats. It's Biden's people. It's Biden's lawyers. It's Biden's DOJ. It's Biden's FBI, the same FBI that just covered for him. I say that they've run a cover up for the Biden family for so long and the Bidens thought they were going to get away with it for so long. And now they're very clearly getting a controlled demolition on Joe Biden's time in office. And I think Mm -hmm. this is just a desperate Hunter Biden that knows he's going to be the one that they're going to use to railroad Joe out of office. How about that for a crazy conspiracy theory? But that's my theory. Well, honestly, it's like Andy McCarthy had a piece that said, keep your eye on the ball. Don't fall for this. Right. This is a, a sideshow. The, the mm-hmm. president's loser son. Actually, he said troubled and unstable. He's not as mean as I am, is beside the point, except to the extent that his supposed business acumen was the pretext for all the money flows. What we need to know is what what did the Chinese believe they were buying? And so why now? Why is Hunter? This lawsuit has absolutely no chance. Zero chance. The guy apparently signed a user agreement when he dropped off the laptop with the guy, the computer repairman, which everybody does, saying if you leave it here for too long a time, it's abandoned and I can do with it what I want. Otherwise, everybody would be holding on to old laptops and old phones and old TVs that they couldn't repair forevermore. They'd never be able to throw them away. So all electronics repair facilities and other facilities like this have agreements like that, and the law will protect him. So it was abandoned. And that's why the guy was able to access whatever he wanted on there. And these arguments Hunter's making against that repairman and others are absolutely specious, meaning absurd to the point where they're absolutely not supported at all. They're frivolous. 
So why you do have to ask, why is he doing this? Why? Oh, and, and let me just set it up, Jesse, because just a walk, quick walk down memory lane. Here he was interviewed during his book tour about the laptop after the New York Post and it tried to publish it. And we were all told, no, 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 disinformation. Here he was when I think it was CBS tried to press him very gently on it. Well, one, this is something people do. I know, but you know, this is I really don't know if the answer is. You don't know yes or no if the laptop was yours. I don't have any idea. I have no idea. So could have been yours. Of course, certainly. There could be a laptop out there that was stolen from me. There could be that I was hacked. It could be that it was Russian intelligence. It could be that it was stolen from me. Look, I really don't know. And the fact of the matter is it's a red herring. It is absolutely red herring. But... I am absolutely, um, I think, within my, my rights to question anything that comes from the, uh, from the desk of Rudy Giuliani. Um, and so I don't know is the answer. OK, great. Are we going to get follow up? We're going to get in-depth reporting from all those organizations on how outraged they were that they were lied to? I don't think so. Remember when the press was doing his their their lovey-dovey book tour thing on his behalf too, Megan, when he was going around doing all these videos and they were all talking about what I think it was CNN talked about. What an inspirational story. Brian Stelter, when he used to work at CNN, oh. talking about how this is just a real inspirational story. The Hunter Biden he thing did? and how, how the, the Trump people, those dirty Trump people keep lying about him. And they always reference Rudy Giuliani because they think that's somehow going to absolve Hunter of everything. But can we pause for a brief moment on this? On, on top of being a drug addict and a compulsive liar and everything else you can say about Hunter Biden, I mean, the, bra- the brazen lies in those interviews. Oh, I don't know if it was my laptop or not. Come on. Who records all of their crimes, Megan? And now, you're one of these smart legal people. I find it to be the most bizarre thing because I do the best I can to stay on the right side of the law. I probably flirted with the wrong side a time or two. But you know what I didn't do? record every single one of them and then save it on a laptop and then drop off the laptop for repairs. The first two steps were dumb enough, but then having recorded every crime I've ever committed, allow me to take the evidence, drop it off at a laptop repair shop, and then just cruise off as if if everything's going to be fine. There's something weird here, Megan, almost like he wants to get caught. Does that make sense? There's something, something wrong with this guy beyond just what we can see. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's, it's starting to feel like, is there a connection between all these classified documents being found at Joe Biden's houses that Hunter Biden had access to and now him making this move? Just like all of it is starting to feel a little too connected and a little too coincidental. Um, I'm starting to get like the spidey sense that th- we need to dig and we need to dig hard. And what looked at first like a, a house hearing that was worthwhile, like we should probe. But I was like, eh. Now I'm starting to feel like it's absolutely imperative. Actually, we really need to get to the bottom. Like Comer said, that the head of the oversight uh, committee said, this is actually getting downright scary. Yeah, well, look, let's go back to the Chinese spy satellite that we were just talking about. Megan, what if? I mean, that's Joe Biden's son. I, I don't know about you, but for my sons, I would commit any number of crimes. I just would. They're my sons. I love them to death. What if the Chinese, the Chinese have extremely damaging information on Hunter Biden? I'm not talking about just some booger sugar with some European hookers. What if they have real, real, real black and white criminal crimes that they have evidence of? What if the Russians do? What if the Ukrainians do? How hard is it for them to get on the phone with Joe Biden and say, hey, we need you to look the other way on X, Y, and Z, or this information is going to be at NBC News tonight? I, this is, mm. These are legitimate questions the American people have a right to know. 
Is the president of the United States of America compromised by our enemies because of his son and his connections to his son? That's not a small thing. It's a big thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. That's like that is a disturbing thought. Um, oh. My team pulled this up. You were right. CNN's Reliable Sources. Remember that show? Uh, briefly pivoted from a show dedicated to bashing conservative media on Sunday to become an infomercial. I'm not sure who I'm quoting. Otherwise, I would attribute this uh, to become an infomercial uh, for Hunter Biden's new memoir. This is, I guess, Fox News. As left wing host Brian Stelter gushed, it was extraordinary and breathtaking. <laughs> Stelter teased the segment about Biden's new memoir, Beautiful Things. I forgot it was called that by claiming the real human being who differs from the caricature of the president's son would be revealed in the book. Real, real human. Beautiful things. Extraordinary. Just breathtaking. Just the name alone. What a bunch of hippie crap all this stuff is. It was really, really breathtaking for Brian Stelter. And again, this is why I think this is this whole lawsuit stuff is just desperation. This is clearly a human being. I mean, we look at him like a kid. I, at least I do. I feel like he's a kid because it probably like he screws up so much. He's in his 50s, Megan. This guy's a grandpa, I think, or at least could be at this point in time. So they've covered for him his entire life. His entire life, he's used to daddy and daddy's media covering for him. I bet it is quite a culture shock for him to all of a sudden find out he is in real legal trouble because he doesn't pay his taxes. He's done all these criminal things before, and they want his dad, I believe. They want his dad out of office. I bet he is a little taken aback by the fact that it's even possible for him to get in any legal trouble at all. Mm-hmm. I should attribute that story about the assistant to the Daily Mail that was there, I think, exclusive reporting on it. Absolutely disgusting. Um, and at the time, for all of this, with the assistant and so on, he was, of course, addicted to crack. And uh, the New York Post reminds us, had unrestricted access to his father's Wilmington, Delaware home where classified documents uh, were improperly stored. Oh, joy. All right. Let me let me pause there. You can just marinate on that during the commercial break. And we'll be back in two minutes with Jesse Kelly, who stays with us. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Okay, so Jesse, drama over at CNN, the New York Post, with quite an exclusive on, first of all, the morning show over there, you're going to be shocked, shocked to learn, is in, I mean, basement dweller territory when it comes to the ratings. It's an absolute failure. Um, CNN this morning, this is from earlier reporting, suffered its lowest week. uh, I think this is as of through January 22nd, its lowest week since launch, um, which was only three months ago. They averaged 331,000 viewers just for 
reference, Fox and Friends had nearly a million. Even Morning Joe is up to 760,000, which is good for that show. They're down at 331,000 viewers on that show. No one's watching. Well, that can really that can really upset the anchors, apparently, because uh, behind the scenes it's not going much better. According to The New York Post in an exclusive report, Don Lemon screamed at his co-host, uh, Caitlin Collins. According to two sources with knowledge, says The New York Post, Lemon approached Collins following the show's Thursday, December 8th broadcast and unloaded on her in front of staffers as he accused her of interrupting him on air. Quote, Don screamed at Caitlin, who was visibly upset and ran out of the studio. Uh, And it was over reportedly this incident here. We've gone back and pulled um, the, the exchange between the two of them that we believe this was based on from that day of air. Watch this. Um, we are told that, that, that we're standing by for the 10, president of the United States. It's been 10 months since she's been held in captivity. 830 um, this morning. I expected to speak at the White House at any uh, moment now. And he was brief. Watch. Stand by one second. He was brief. Um, no, I think we should bring in Jonathan Franks. Uh, OK, so there was some interrupting. It happens when you co-host a show. It happens. I co-hosted a show with Bill Helmer for three years. I was on the air with Brett Baer more times than I can count. and sometimes. Somebody gets on your nerves. What you, what you don't do is scream at them after the fact. Later, you say, oh, we stepped on each other. Oh, we, we, it's all about servicing the audience. If you're a professional, if you're a douchebag, you scream at the woman next to you and blame it on her. Yeah, I generally try to avoid screaming at the various people who work for me around the studio here, Megan. I find it as an adult, it works better if you don't scream at people like their children. But here's your the co-host. <laughs> yeah. You're here's supposed to have a good rapport with on the air. Don Lemon doesn't have the talents to continue to bring baggage. The rule number one of employment always is make sure your talent outweighs your baggage because we all have baggage, right? Everyone has something. But Don Lemon is not an interesting person. People forget when Don Lemon had his own nighttime show on on CNN, it sucked. And it sucked so bad for so long, they eventually brought in Cuomo, who was doing the show beforehand to do Don Lemon's A Block. Now, let me explain this to people. When you do TV... A block is the opening of your show. It goes A, B, C, D. I know you can do the math from there. A block is also the most important block because it is the most watched block on your show. So Don Lemon sucked so bad that he was unable to carry the A block, the most important block of his own show. They had to keep the previous host there to carry the A block with him. Then he gets kicked down to morning time. Now he already got a demotion and everyone knows it was a demotion. He's only still around because he's a black gay dude and everybody knows it. this is not an interesting person. He doesn't have anything at all funny or or in- informative to say whatsoever. Mm-mm. He's already been demoted, already, frankly, been demoted twice when you consider the Cuomo thing. And now he's chewing out Stafford's Don, buddy. Unless you want to go down to the mailroom, which, which frankly is where you belong, I would make sure I'm minding my P's and Q's if I couldn't do TV and yet somebody gave me a television show. Mm, it's so true. He better be careful because honestly, that show's on its last legs before it even got on its first legs. And I will say Caitlin Collins is a competent reporter. She's she's somebody I wonder whether the politics have anything to do with it. But she, if I'm not mistaken, she she was an intern for Hannity at one point. She started off, I think, at Fox. So listen, I don't think she's a right winger at all, but I think she's probably more balanced 
than Don Lemon certainly is. I mean, yeah. he'd have to be. Uh, and you can sense the tension and they don't have a good rapport at all. And I don't think CNN is interested in getting rid of her. Uh, so here's the thing, though. Uh, again, I've co-hosted more hours than I can count with a lot of guys with big egos, appropriately big egos. And never, never has have I screamed at a colleague after like a co-host or had him scream at me. We've had charged disagreements, had a charged disagreement with Chris Wallace one time. We're never screaming at each other and you you pick it up right after. If somebody ever screamed at me to the point where I was visibly upset and ran out of the studio, I would have that person fired. I would make sure that person was fired. And I'll tell you something. If that is true, the New York Post report, Jesse, then I will say that's not the first time he's done it. I will go out on a limb right now and tell you that's not the first time. There will be another woman if the New York Post digs who he's co-anchored with. I guarantee you who's going to come out and say me, too, because. If you behave like that toward a colleague with whom you share the air and you share the show, this will not be the first time. So I do wonder. Oh, a thousand percent. You, you just nailed it. If you are the type of person who views that as being an option to treat a coworker in that way, like that, you just think that that's something that, that you can do, then you've done it before and you've gotten away with it before. And this is the problem. CNN has let him get away with it before because there are going to be more. I guarantee there'll be more. And CNN will have to start admitting, well, well, we did have this person uh, file a report a couple years ago. We just chose not to do anything. It'll all come rolling out now that they've been, again, I don't understand why they've been coddling this guy. There are plenty of people out there, plenty of, there's so much talent out there, television-wise, from local to otherwise. Why are you hanging on to Don Lemon? He sucks. Yes. Uh, and honestly, there's a lot of great people who are black and great people who are gay. Like, you don't, because Don Lemon did say, I'm black and I'm gay, as as uh, Jeff Zucker was on his way out. I mean, he actually reminded us of that on the air to keep his job. So it, even if they're trying to check an identity box, you can do it with some very talented people not named Don Lemon. Um, but that's an interesting question you just raised, because it, it could potentially have been documented. HR could potentially have a record. I wonder whether this went to HR. Um, you know, if this if if his name w were Tucker Carlson, they'd be digging through those files right now. Right. Like, does CNN have any desire to do that? Will will there be follow up? Um, is he that untouchable that we you know, whatever he does is no problem. Here's what CNN is saying. Uh, doesn't certainly sound like they're getting ready to look into his history or ask any more questions. They say to Mediaite, which posted the story and asked for a follow up, the Post's account is wild, wildly overblown and two months old. Well, that's a deflection. We know it's two months old. Mm -hmm. The original report by the Post said it happened December 8th. Don, Caitlin and Poppy, that's the third co-host, were friends before they were co-anchors and they remain friends today. Again, that's a dodge. What does that mean? Uh, did, did he do it or didn't he? Did he scream at her to the point where she ran down the hall visibly upset or didn't she in front of staffers? Um, and then it, the media goes on, despite CNN formally pushing back, media can confirm that the events described by the Post are largely true, though Lemon's alleged screaming is being overplayed. OK, so let's let's see. Let's find out, because right now uh, we're being told that Chris Licht, who is now who's now running the joint, was reportedly appalled by his behavior. Um, appalled by his behavior and that actually told him to take the next day off to cool off. Hmm. They say the post at this point, Caitlin Collins wants to be on set with Don as little as possible. So that conflicts with CNN's statement that they're still friends. Um, and that's that's basically where it stands. I don't know, Jesse. I feel like these are the same people who, you know, Don Lemon's out there every every night when he was on his primetime show lecturing us about 
how we need to be better people. Everybody's a racist. If you voted for Trump, you're a terrible racist, white supremacist. And this is how he's treating people. Mm, OK, says something. A lot of this, a lot of this stuff. Uh, sorry for interrupting, Megan. Don't scream at me. So a lot of this stuff comes back <laughs> to Trump. I, I, I believe I've always believed this, that he created a media bubble that that a lot of these cable news uh, channels were kind of getting stale and dying as people are cutting the cord and they're finding different ways to to consume news. And that Trump came along and Trump was love him or hate him. So interesting that he brought eyeballs no matter what. So if you're a dork like Don Lemon and you don't have any talent, you can still go sit down on CNN and talk about Donald Trump for an hour and get ratings because Trump is interesting. So he brings the interesting. And then the second Trump is gone, he's not president anymore. Well, you're still stuck there not being interesting. And you can't talk about Trump every single night. Now, I think this has plagued a lot more than CNN and Don Lemon. I think it's killed a lot of them. You spent four years not getting better, not getting better personally, not getting better as a network, not bringing in new talent, not cultivating people who actually have something to say. You spent four years just screaming, Trump, 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 for an hour every single night, and it brought you ratings. And you fooled yourself into thinking you have talent. You don't have talent. Trump's interesting. Now he's gone. Now you're boring again. Yeah, you're right. Because you know what's interesting about Don Lemon? Because I used to I used to know Lemon, and actually we used to be kind of friendly. And Trump broke him in the same way he broke CNN and he broke Jeff Zucker and he broke so many broadcasters in particular. He broke him in to the point where like Lemon used to be more sort of, I don't know, like I remember him once quoting with favor the Bill Cosby message of like, pull up your damn pants, you know, like, come on, like be upstanding, treat family well and all that stuff. Now, of course, we realize that <laughs> that messenger had problems back then too, Bill, Bill Cosby. But then he got wokeified, started casting his judgment on everybody. He was totally on board the woke racism train, no matter what the story was, and became just derisive of half the country. You remember that sneering clip with him, with um, oh, the guy from Lincoln, project. Oh, God. It was, I think I can't remember the two guys names. Wajahat. Rick Wilson. I think Ali and, and Rick, Wilson. Rick Wilson. And the t the three of them like, oh, I can't even spell your Ukraine, you know, or Ukraine. And they were doing their middle whatever. It was so pejorative and dismissive of half the country. Anybody who supported Trump. And then he went on to say, if you voted for Trump on his show, backed it up um, on his show that uh, you're you're a racist if you voted for him. Well, you mentioned a great word, dismissive of half the country. We we talked a little bit earlier uh, tonight, actually, about uh, how they they all they're all in L.A. They're all in New York. They're all in their own little extremely blue areas, and that's why they're making crappy movies and crappy cable shows, and, and they don't ever speak to normal people. Well, it comes back to them being dismissive of normal people. People people will get confused, especially people on the right. Of I don't understand why they did, why don't they want to appeal to me? Why don't why don't why isn't they, why aren't they just staying neutral? Why not try to appeal to me? They despise you. These people are dismissive of you. They despise you. They do they do mock you and because you didn't go to you didn't go to Wharton School of Business. You didn't go to NYU. You're just some stupid rube. All you know how to do is farm. You probably can't even spell. That is how these people view you. They're not trying to appeal to you. They would never try to appeal to you. The same way you wouldn't try to walk out and reason with the slug crawling across the sidewalk. That's how these people look at you. They would never come try to speak to you, speak to your values, represent you in any way. They look at you as simply beneath them. And that's people feel that now. Half the country feels that it's not hard, Megan. I know you see it when you turn on the TV to feel, to feel spoken down to. No, I don't mm -hmm. want my child to wear a mask on a plane. No, I, I think this mask is stupid. 
the way they speak to you like you're some stupid idiot anti-science murderer at all times the country feels it it's it's ugly their rage toward you you know mm-hmm. anybody who disagrees with them or isn't woke is real but their outrage so often seems performative you know like yeah. is he really that upset about this that or the other and he's trying to juice up his ratings and that leads me to Ilan Omar and what happened with her and AOC on the House floor yesterday. I'm sure you've seen this. So Republicans got booted off of the January 6th committee. They couldn't have who they wanted there. And now they're turning it around and they booted. Well, Schiff got kicked off of Intel and and um, Ilan Omar just got kicked off of foreign affairs with a Republican saying she's an anti-Semite or she certainly at least made a lot of anti-Semitic comments. So bye. Well, of course, underdog AOC rushes to the rescue in. I mean, this is the worst bit of acting I've seen in a long time. It could be give like, what was it? Ishmael that everybody used to say was the worst movie ever made. This is a Ishmael territory. Here's AOC on this on the the uh, the house floor yesterday trying to act like I don't you tell me who she's trying to imitate here. Watch top 10. Also, one of the disgusting legacies after 9-11 has been the targeting and racism against Muslim Americans throughout the United States of America. And this is an extension of that legacy. There is nothing consistent with the Republican Party's continued attack except for the racism and incitement of violence against women of color in this body. This is about targeting women of color in the, in the United States of America. Okay. We cut the part where she threw her notebook at the end and she really sort of revs up her like preacher accent, you know, like and then this country, whatever. OK, you're from uh, Yorktown Heights. OK, which is a lovely suburb in Westchester. So she just stop. But what do you make of underdog in to save the day? I think the worst mistake she made there actually wasn't the hand motions. The worst mistake she made was the looking down at the speech that she had clearly written in practice beforehand. If you're yes. going to do the moral outrage thing, this is about women of color, then it really helps if you don't have to go, this is about women of color. <laughs> it doesn't come off nearly as genuine, but it's, it's true. They do this very, very well. The, the, the left in this country, they've really mastered something. And the right, frankly, has, is so far behind on that They don't realize what they're doing. The toddler that pitches the fit in the grocery store because mom will buy him ice cream sandwiches. And he lays down and starts screaming and yelling. You pick that child. You either ignore that child and leave him there mm-hmm. screaming and yelling. You pick <laughs> him up and whap him on the rear end. Or you do something. But what you don't do is you don't give him the ice cream sandwiches to calm no. him down. But the right has been handing out ice cream sandwiches for so long to these people. They've learned there's actually it's clownish as that looks. You're you're rolling your eyes. I'm rolling my eyes. Everyone's rolling their eyes. As clownish as that looks, that has worked for the left for a long time. Just start pounding the table and screaming and yelling. And of course, you got to throw in racist and misogynistic or whatever, uh, whatever word. Shoot, throw them all in, whatever. Make a bunch of noise. And that has scared Republicans into giving the left things for a very long time. When I see clowns like that and clownish behavior like that, I actually blame the right because you're the one that's rewarded that. Of course, the toddler is still in the grocery aisle screaming. You rewarded him the last 10 times. Start ignoring him. and He'll stop screaming. What do you make of this kicking Ilan Omar off of uh, foreign affairs because of her anti-Semitic comments? I support the move. I just don't like the way it was done. I think it was done completely wrong. The right move to do was to kick her off the committee. The wrong move to do was to act like it's because of some comments she made or because she's an anti-Semite or something like that. I'm sure she is an anti-Semite. She hates Israel. Of course, I get that. 
But that's not why she was kicked off. She was kicked off for revenge. She was kicked off for retribution mm-hmm. because they did it to us. I don't like this mealy mouth way of politics where you have to pretend like it was for a different reason. Hey, mm-hmm. we kicked Ilhan Omar off. Why? Because you kicked our people off. Let this be a lesson to you. If you kick our people off again, we'll kick your people off again. If you'd like this game to stop, then stop doing it and we'll stop it. This was about revenge and retribution. I think it looks weak when you kick her off for revenge and then make up some excuse. Well, we had to be nice to Israel. That's not why you kicked her off. So be honest about it. Mm, That's a good point. What do they get? Schiff and Swalwell off of uh, Intel, which I mean, of course, that should have happened. I mean, how Swalwell was still on. I try never to even talk about him. He's just like one of the most abhorrent people in Congress um, in any event. So now they've what they kicked off, I think, two from January 6th. Now the Republicans have three. So maybe it ends there and they make their point. If it continues on forever, I mean, we're Congress has changed fundamentally. Um, and I don't know whether that's a good thing or, or not. Jesse Kelly, you're a good thing. Such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, my friend. And have a great weekend. Thank you for having me on, Megan. Enjoy your week. I'll talk to you soon. All, right. All the best. And I should mention that Jesse and the first are now taking over the new Newsmax slot. You know, Newsmax went away. They didn't struck a deal with DirecTV. The first is going on there. So you may be sad about your Newsmax friends, but the first has people like Jesse Kelly, Dana Lash, a lot of our friends. So you'll love that. Um, Feels like, again, like friends fighting. Not them. They're not Newsmax and, and the first, but in any event, happy for Jesse and the first. Up next, the latest on the Alex Murdoch trial. My God, the defense made a terrible mistake yesterday. We'll explain what it was and how they may have just cost their client uh, any chance at an acquittal um, and go from there. And remember, folks, you can find The Megan Kelly Show live on Sirius XM Triumph Channel 111 every weekday at noon east and the full video show and clips by subscribing to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Megan Kelly. If you prefer an audio podcast, you can follow and download on let download Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to go subscribe to our American News Minute. That's our once a week. It's just a once a week email from me um, with the highlights that you may have missed from our show during the week and update on Strudwick. You're not going to be happy. You're not going to you're going to feel for me. You're not going to be happy for, for me or for Abby. Go check it out. MeganKelly.com to sign up. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. New developments in the Alex Murdoch murder trial underway right now. The court is now considering whether or not Murdoch's alleged financial crimes can be heard by the jury. Oh, my gosh. The proffer of what they would hear was quite juicy. Joining us now on the ground in South Carolina, Vinnie Politan. He's of Court TV and also a public defender out of Florida. Steve Gosney joins us as well. So, Vinnie, Steve, thank you both for being here. Vinnie, you're there. You're covering the trial. For Court TV, what did what happened today? Where is it right now as we as we meet with you? Well, I'll tell you what happened this morning is the the continued proffer of, of all this information they want to get in front of the jury and really want to demonstrate that there was some motive, some reason why this father would 
um, splatter his son's brains in the in the dog kennel and then hunt down his wife with an AR rifle. So um, they're trying to get into what's happening in his whole world and his life that is sort of uh, uh, crumbling, unraveling around him, specifically the financials. He was um, siphoning money from the law firm. He was making money, not not giving it to to his partners and to the, to the law firm. So that, that's happening. He's being sued because of his son's boating accident. And that lawsuit could uncover more of his financial misdeeds, which are, are many. And it really involves a lot of ripping off of his own clients. Uh, they're saying $9 million worth of fraud and stealing. Oh, it, it's really un, un, unthinkable what he did for all these years as a lawyer. My God, nine. I thought it was like 700,000 and change and nine million's a lot. So wait a minute. Just and just I should have done this at the start. I just assumed people are familiar with this case and I shouldn't do that because not everybody's been following <laughs> it. But this guy, Alex Murdoch, is um, from a very famous family of very accomplished lawyers down in South Carolina. He really wasn't one of them, but got a job <laughs> at, a, at a law firm and practicing law and had the family dough and the family name. And then his son, 19 year old Paul, had a boating accident where Paul was allegedly drunk, driving recklessly. And a girl, um, uh, Mallory Beach, was killed. She was thrown from the boat and killed, leading to a bunch of criminal, potential criminal and civil cases, uh, trouble, I should say, for the son and the Murdoch family. Fast forward a couple of years and Paul winds up shot in the head, dead, along with Paul's mother Maggie, Alex's wife, and Alex is accused of doing it. Uh, and one of the alleged motives is that he was stressed out. He was facing the lawsuits. And the day of the, the double murder, he was accused by his own law firm of embezzlement. So, Steve, this the, this was a colossal blunder by the defense, because before yesterday, correct me if I'm wrong, we weren't going to hear any evidence of motive. The state's real theory is that he did this to make himself look sympathetic. Um, in, in other words, he killed his family so that on this other financial stuff, people would be like, oh, poor Alex, you know, oh, you know, he couldn't have or let's leave him alone or what have you. We weren't supposed to hear any of this. The reason we're hearing all this behind do closed doors right now is because they opened the door. Explain. Well, Maybe that, you know, whether they've opened the door or not, the judge has not ruled on that. But yes, um, the state definitely wants to get in this financial crime stuff because it makes him look terrible. I mean, the guy is obviously hated in the community and for good reason. He's being shown by through his financial crimes as stealing from these sympathetic characters and just everybody around him closely. Um, the problem from the defense side is that uh, that is not necessarily motive for murder nor is it, uh, does it prove that he committed the murder. And in fact, what it actually does is it widens the field of people that could be likely assassins on his son and wife. So, mm. um, so it's interesting. They haven't quite ruled, but yes, you're right. There was a, an argument by the state that this, the defense opened the door by asking a deadly question, which is, is there any reason at all that he would uh, kill his wife? And, and of course- as as uh, Vincent said here, you know, exactly. I mean, did you? Well, yes, there's this financial stuff. But I, I think that um, the people that I've been chatting to on the kind of the defense side are like, well, what is the nexus between the financial crimes and the murder of his son and wife, this brutal murder? It seems to it seems that it's out of character and not consistent with anything. He can be a thief, but not a murderer. Mm hmm. Um, I 
Vinny, what do you make of that? Because the judge, the reason we heard testimony from this financial person at the law firm who uncovered the crime, the alleged crime, is uh, the the prosecution said they opened the door. We're going to do character evidence now. It's all in. We would love to do character evidence. Thank you, Lord. Love that fight. So I put the lady. And so the judge said, outside the presence of the jury, let's hear from the financial lady and let's hear about the crimes. And that's what's been going on. Um, So what about that? I mean, why does the prosecution not think tying it together? the financial crimes and a double murder of one's own family. Why, why do they not think that that's a, too, too difficult to tie together? Well, the defense is saying they're, they're not connected. There's, you know, this is just bad character. It, it, it prejudices him and it makes him makes the jury perhaps look at him uh, as, as a, a criminal rather than as a father and a husband. But it's about the timing. And I, and I think this is where the prosecution's argument will go. It's a, it's a day of reckoning. It's June 7th, 2021. And on that day, uh, he is confronted by the bookkeeper at his law firm about this $700,000 uh, from this big, big uh, case that they won. Him and a couple other law firms were in on it. And he had his best friend, okay, his best friend, who's one of the other lawyers in this, um, write the check personally to him because he made up this story about putting it into some sort of an annuity. And his friend, you know, didn't think twice about it because he knew Alec was super rich. He's a partner in the firm. So sure, I'll do it. Um, but that whole thing sort of hits the fan when the accountant starts to look at the books and saying, wait, wait a minute, we got the expenses, but where are the fees? Where's the $700,000? And um, so his friend testified against him, again, outside the presence of the jury, could be the best witness in the whole case because he was literally crying on the stand because his best friend had had done him wrong. His best friend for money, for money, had, had uh, you know, done this to, to his buddy. And it could ruin his friend's law practice. It could ruin his reputation. It could ruin his life. He stole like 192000 from his friend. So you put all that together, um, it was really powerful. And if the jury gets to hear it, I think they'll look at Alec Murdoch a little differently. And I think they'll look at June 7th much differently as well, which is what the prosecution wants them to do. Just a quick question, Vinny. What was the status of the lawsuits connected to the boat accident at, at the time of the double murders? What kind of pressure was Alec Murdoch facing at that moment? Well, the, the pressure, and this is this this goes to the next level. This is why it's you know it's a slippery slope when you start getting into this evidence. Um, the the following week, a few days later, there was going to be an accounting. So they were going to go through Alec Murdoch's financials, and what the prosecution is saying is he was deadly scared of that because this would reveal all that was going on. The fact mm. that. He, the you know, civil he's, lawsuit he's in collecting with the settlements boat? for clients and not paying the clients. The clients aren't wait, getting wait, wait. money. All of wait, this would what, have been what, revealed. What you're saying is that in connection with a civil lawsuit that had been filed against against Alex Mur- Murdoch, not just the son, uh, Paul. Yeah, they, yeah, they the went act, after everybody. But, they went after okay. Alec. They went after the son. They went after the, the brother. They went after everyone. OK, so he's facing exposure on that, too. Presumably he owned the boat and you would be exposed in the same way as if your teenager. Wrecked but it wasn't car. just the exposure to how much money he could lose in the lawsuit. It's that. Right. The lawyers through the discovery process would right. go through his financials and then they would uncover all of his criminal fraudulent conduct through the years as they're going through his books. And that's what prosecutors say he was afraid of. 
My God, well, it's like the what what a tangled web. Go ahead, Steve. Well, I, I'm I'm just saying, looking at it from a little bit more of a defense side, the sure. problem is is that he had been stealing from everybody basically for 10 years and was a good old boy and could talk his way out of anything. Um, I know that the state wants to bring this in because it makes him look so bad. So I I completely understand that. But it looks to me, this this crisis on that day type of argument seems to me to be backing the truck up, right? So it's like, okay, we want to get this in. So how do we justify that? Well, let's come up with this crazy motive. Um, and that's why I, I'm not convinced that there is a, a connection or a nexus between the the thefts and this this peak of activity. Now, of course, the state isn't done yet, so we haven't we can't. Well, well let me ask it, this, but, Steve. Let me ask you this, mm-hmm. Steve. If if the son dies, does the civil case go away? I mean, as a practical no. matter, he was the driver of the boat. He's nope. you know, no, it does it not because it passes to his estate, and he was being sued. That doesn't change anything. So yeah, what he's doing though, he's he's buying time. It's a diversion, right? So on June 7th, all of a sudden, all eyes in his law firm are on him as what are you doing with this money? Where's the money, Alec? And then that night, boom, all of a sudden everything turns around. Nobody's talking about the money. We don't oh. talk about money. We're talking about poor Alec that. and the fact that his family's now being targeted. And they they were probably afraid that Alec was a target as well. Then the next day of reckoning. You go flash forward to September and he is a, he's he's getting fired now from his law firm. All this stuff is coming out. And then all of a sudden there's another shooting, another 911 call from Alec, this time from uh, the side of the road. I was on that road. There's nothing there. And he calls in that he was the victim of a shooting. And apparently somehow he shot in the head but is like, okay to call 911 and survives the whole thing. And again, it's the timing. It's right. When, when the stuff is about to be revealed and all the focus will be on all the bad things that he did, he tries to turn himself into a victim. Oh, my God. That sounds exactly right. I buy that <laughs> hook, line and sinker. I don't, He's, I don't. You tie it together with a, a fake attempt on Alex's life. It makes perfect sense. Why don't you buy it? Well, because... um. It it's does not seem, I mean, I've dealt, I've done a lot of trials and thousands and thousands of uh, criminal cases and thieves are different than murderers. And it's just out of character for the way he seems to present himself and to kill your mother, your wife and your child in a vicious, cold blooded way is quite, you know, and there is an alternative theory of, uh, of murder here. There is an alternative theory that has not, I don't think, been disproven by the evidence so far presented. And that is that there was somebody lying in wait for Paul out in this dog kennel. And that during after he got done, he went back to the house and this guy came out of the woods with a shotgun, shot the the son in the head, picked up the son's AR, shot the wife and then took off. And in fact, there's um, there's cell phone evidence, which we're still we're still parsing through it. We haven't heard everything, but that may even be exculpatory to um, Mr. Alex here. So I don't know. We haven't heard the whole case, but it's a quite a drama. I mean, it is really. OK, I'd I like that. I like having both case. sides. But Vinny, if Alex Murdoch is so innocent and it was really just some intruder who came, who was there lying in wait for Paul, who was the one who dri- drove the boat. Um, why did Alex Murdoch delete 73 calls off of his phone, which they never get deleted off of your cell phone bill? The, the cops found him. <laughs> 73. Well, when was the last time you deleted 73 calls off of your phone, which they say he did here and 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 then get us into the video and what the two videos are showing now. One we heard, we heard allegedly Alex Murdoch there and the other one we saw 
Alex Murdoch right. there about an hour before. Talk about that. Well, well, there's a couple, a couple things going on here. So Alec Murdoch, in his first interview with police that, that night, that night he is speaking to police in, in the cruiser. He's in the seat. It's all on video. It's recorded. Um, he describes what he was doing that night. And he said he was, um, you know, he came home and then he took a nap. And then he woke up from the nap in the, in the lodge in the main house and then was going to visit his father, his mother, who's like 18 miles away. And he just drove out and left and then went to his mother's, stayed there 15 minutes and then drove another 18 minutes back and found the murder scene. The problem is, is that there is a video on his son Paul's phone that I'm sure he didn't know about that was played for the jury. He's, he's videotaping the dogs, but you hear three voices in the background. You hear Paul Murdoch, you hear Maggie and you hear Alec which puts him at the kennels with the two victims moments before both of their phones cease all activity. All right, stand by, stand by, stand by. because we have that. that. Well, hold on, 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 because we have that. Can I just ask quickly, is it Alex or Alec? Oh, here we go. Yeah. How many viewers <laughs> are yelling at me saying it's not, it's not, it's not Alec, Vinny, it's Alex. Can't you read? <laughs> Fucking well, me. Yeah, it's spelled like that, but he calls himself Alec. His lawyer calls him Alec. I'm sure his mama called him Alec. So I'm going to call him Alec. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. I hadn't, hadn't had it explained to me yet. Here is that cell phone video to which Vin, Vinnie Polentan just re referred. It's soundbite 13. Get back. Get back. Quick cash. Come. Quick. Paul Murdoch there was trying to take a video of, of the dog Cash of his tail for his friend who wanted to know if the dog's tail had been hurt. And so you definitely hear three voices on it for sure. And that uh, that other male voice, Alex Murdoch has like a high voice. Alec has a high voice. And there's been testimony, Vinny, that it was 100 percent him. Yeah, the the the, uh, the the young man who's like a, he, he described himself as a member of the family, like Alec and Maggie were his second parents. Paul was like his brother. And he was on the phone with Paul and he heard what was going on in the background and he heard Alec's voice there. So now you have Alec lying about where he is just prior to the murders, which is what time at the was, scene what time? of the murders. Why do you what lie? Time, why do you, why would you lie about that? that? What time was that video taken in relation to the murders? That's uh, 848, I think, is oh. when it's taken, right around 848. Or the last, oh. the, the last 844. phone activity is 48. That's like 844. Then right. the last phone activity is at 848. And then I think there's one incoming message. Uh, to Paul's phone at 849. So it's it's right there in that window of time when he said he was taking a nap. You see, but Steve? and I agree. I agree with that. But there's a problem with this timeline. And this is why the, the state has done, I think, a poor job of laying out this timeline clearly. 
for the jury, or at least for us consumers. <laughs> and that is that you're right, 844, we have him at those kennels. But there is a there's basically an hour and 22 minute period, which they're saying he committed the murders, went back to the house, disposed of the weapons, disposed of the bloody clothes, went to his mother's house, came back to the scene. And in fact, um, there's actually a 15 minute window, which is really operative, in which the wife's cell phone was taken off of her probably after the murder. And the last movement of that phone, which when it was tossed on the side of the road, was 90612. And his car starts at 90648. So that's about a two mile distance. So he is starting his car to get in his car at the same time that the phone is being tossed about uh, two miles away. So there's there's some there's some other issues here. So, OK, let's hear what the Vinny pushback is. Well, I, I, I think the defense experts will say it was 906 when it was tossed out. But I don't think the state expert will agree. That's the time of the tossing. This is this whole technology. I didn't realize that they can track whether your phone is vertical or horizontal. And what the defense is going to argue, and they may have a, a great expert that can say, is when you toss the phone, it should show it's going from horizontal to vertical. I think what the uh, state expert said is that if it's in a certain mode and it's tossed, that won't necessarily record. So that's a point of contention. If the defense is successful in, in convincing the jury that the phone is tossed at 906, then then you've got a, a, a you definitely have an issue for the prosecution. But I don't think they're conceding that point. I think they're going to try to dispute it. But we'll see what the jury does with it. They, they, they convinced Steve, though, didn't they? Well, well it's not that I'm convinced. I'm saying that there's a reasonable doubt. Yeah. Yeah. If the timeline doesn't add up, that's a problem for the prosecution. Although one wonders how accurate these things are. My God, could it could it couldn't have been off by like 50 seconds or, you know, a minute or two. I don't know. Well, um, see, that's why the, the car starting time and the phone time are very important because those you can nail down with some precision. So the last mm -hmm. movement of that phone was at the same exact time as he gets in his car. The last which, recorded record, the, the, the last true. movement that they can ascertain. And, and the and the mm. I think what's the, the point is going to come up is going to be if you if you sort of, you know, when you blank your phone, and there's nothing yeah. on it. You hit the little button on the right and it's blank. I think what the state expert was saying is if, if it's in that state and you throw it, it's not going to record the changing direction of the phone. So maybe the phone is turned off then he drives a little, then he tosses it. Um, but all right, wait, let's move I, on. I, I'm let's... not sure. I'm not sure. They, well, they have to clarify. It's something to keep an eye on. He's got a great point, though. Prosecutors have to be more clear here in the way they're building this case or they've got to have the most unbelievable closing argument of all yeah. time. I was going to say they'll, they'll, they'll pull it all together in the closing. The second video is also very problematic for Alec. Uh, it is a Snapchat video of Alec Murdoch taken by his son, Paul, earlier that evening. It's only about an hour. And Paul sent the video to friends at 7.56 p.m., about almost exactly an hour before the alleged before the murder. Uh, I think it was taken a few minutes before that, but it very clearly place, places Alex Murdoch at the scene. It very clearly does that. And but the thing that's telling about it is the clothing. He he's wearing different clothing than when the cops came. Why did he change his clothes? Here's the video. Sot fourteen. <laughs> he has a T-shirt. All right, we cut it short. So there he is wearing a blue short and khakis. And Vinny, that's not what he was wearing later that evening after the murders. No. Right. So the defense makes a big deal that there's, you know, there should be all this blood on his clothes. But he shows up for the interview 
uh, when police respond to the scene, he's got shorts and a, and a T-shirt on. Uh, that was described as it, it, it appeared freshly laundered to one of the uh, first responders who testified. So he's wearing something different. That's clear. So, you know, when did he change clothes? When did he change clothes? Did he change clothes as soon as he got, you know, as soon as he f- finished with whatever he's doing with that tree? Um, or did he change clothes after the murder? And that's the problem. Here's the real problem. Like, where are those clothes? Where's, where's the khaki and the blue shirt, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're innocent, if you're innocent, and I know you don't have to prove anything. I know the defense doesn't have to put a, a piece of evidence in. But you could really dazzle this jury if you're the defense. If you break out the khakis and the blue shirt and show yes. it to the jury during your case, and there's no blood, there's no luminol, you sent it to the lab, and you had it all tested. You could win the <sighs> so case good. right there. Win the so case. So good. That is a great point, Vinny. Steve, he's teeing up some very difficult arguments for you as as no, not Alex at Fake all. This defense attorney to take on. Not at all. Not at all. Why no. not? Why well, is that not a problem? Well, first of all, it is South Carolina in the summertime, and it's he's outside digging around on trees, dirt. Boy, you, when you get back home, the first thing you do is is clean off and wash off and change your clothes. And the mm-hmm. the, the he's pointing to lack of evidence as evidence against him. Well, that's the state's burden to produce. Now, the the idea that this and I thought the police really lost credibility when they testified that his clothes looked freshly laundered because there's no way anybody can look at somebody's clothes and say they're freshly laundered. That is a reach. And that shows you that the police have an interest in convicting him. And um, mm. so I, I was very skeptical. I thought that was a lack of credibility. They did the same thing when they said that he admitted to the crime when he said, I done them wrong when the audio said they done them wrong. And it was clear to me and that they're, they're, the guy sat on the stand and we listened to it in slow playback. And it, the, the fact is, is he didn't say that. He said they. And then, of course, the cop, if somebody said I did it, you would immediately write that down and follow up. But they didn't write it down. They didn't note it. So that's another let's make him look guilty today in trial rather than is he actually guilty? So I'm just saying the state is is stretching here. That's why they want to get in all this financial crime evidence to make him look bad, which he looks terrible. He's you know guilty of sin on that stuff. But did he actually murder his wife and child? Doesn't strike to me. I, I, uh, and in fact, I his, agree with you. his attitude, his attitude on the video, on the audio just before the alleged murders didn't sound hostile at all to me. Well, I mean, I don't, I, it wouldn't necessarily, but I agree with you on the point about the cop being like, I'm 100% certain it said, I did them wrong. I, I mean, you shouldn't say that because none of us is 100% certain listening to that tape, what it says. It's too garbled. And he didn't need to go that far. And his actions after the fact, the, the defense did a good job crossing him. His actions after the fact certainly did not suggest he heard that. He didn't write it down. He didn't follow up. Like, I think he's doing some revisionist history there. But can you expand, Steve, because it does seem like the defense is doing what what the defense attorneys in these cases often do, which is trying to say they unfair zero zeroed in unfairly zeroed in on Alex Murdoch from the beginning and to the exclusion of all their subjects and like rush to judgment is what they're going to say. And they were making points on that yesterday, talking about why didn't you put out a warning to the community after this double murder that there could be an active shooter on the loose? So what were they trying to do there? Yeah, I'm not certain how strong that is. And we'll see. I mean, we're sort of in the middle of this trial and it's a long trial and there's lots of interesting stuff. Obviously, the the defense job here is to raise a reasonable doubt. And so did he do it beyond an exclusion of every reasonable doubt based on evidence? 
So when we're when we're positing, you know, and we're watching the show and we're positing these alternative theories, it is a reasonable thing. This guy has a lot of enemies, and so does his son, including the the family and friends of this the person that he killed in the boat. So is it possible somebody stood behind and hid and waited till he left and came out and shot the son and took the son's rifle and shot the wife? I think the evidence and everything we've seen so far is entirely consistent with that reasonable hypothesis of innocence. Now, mm. it's um, it, it's the state's burden to disprove. Now, the problem is, can he get a fair trial? Because obviously this community is done with this guy and done with his family. And there's all this animosity. He's stolen from everybody. And he's been in power since 1920. This family's been in power. And this guy was a lead, the lead partner in a massive firm in South Carolina. So I don't know if he can get a fair trial, but I think it's the job of the prosecutor and the judge to give him one. So I don't know. I'm just trying to raise some reasons. He's got home. He's got home field advantage for this. Are you kidding me? You think they had so? to take down his grandfather's picture that was inside the courtroom. Ah. This is a home match for this defendant and this attorney, Dick Harputlian. You've got the attorney general who has to stay at the same hotel I am because he's from out of town who's trying his case. This is a road game for the prosecution. Um, mm. The defense did not want this thing moved. They wanted to stay put. I don't wow. know if Alec Murdoch, as a civil attorney, has ever lost a case or or any Murdoch has lost a case in this jurisdiction through the years. Uh, mm. But we'll see what happens here. I just want to go back to the close. I just want to say that if I and and, you know, I don't know, my common sense tells me that if you come home and you're a loving husband, a loving father, and you see two bodies that are bloodied, um, you might bend down, you might touch them, you might try some CPR, you might hug them, you might get some transfer of blood onto your clothes just to see if there's any proof of life, you know, but there wasn't. And he didn't. He was too clean. He was too clean. I don't think that's what the evidence shows. From what I saw, I remember he didn't appear to have blood on him, but he did have, I believe, blood in the pockets and some blood within on his clothing that was recovered, which is consistent with him checking the body. But the, the prosecution made this big thing about How checking did he a check pulse. that body like this. It's like the but, bloodiest scene ever. Come on. He could have. He you're, got, you're not going to take the shoulders and shake them a little bit. You're not going to put your, your head down to see if you hear a heartbeat. We don't know how a person like this would react given the scene that he was confronted with. So a slight touch and a shot in shock is consistent with the crime scene. I don't know. I know how Rabbi Newlander uh, responded to a very similar scene uh, years ago, and I know where he is now. Spending but everybody life. is different. Everybody mm -hmm. reacts differently. And nobody how would you yeah. nobody knows how they'd react if their their wife and son are bloodily murdered. Wow. A, a slight touch with no heads blown off by guns. A slight touch would probably be enough to put you in shock. But I will say this. If you didn't hear our discussion with Phil Houston yesterday, he he's the guy who invented the CIA's deception detection method still being used by the CIA today. He was with the CIA for 25 years. He's a human lie detector. And he walked us through Alex Murtoch's, um, Murdoch's discussion with the police that night when he was in the car, you know, and they were cross-examining him like, what, what about this? What about this? And the 911 call and the signs of deception are through the roof. The human lie detector could walk you through each one and how off his his comments were and how and just like good reminders of how you wouldn't say like, oh, I tried to touch him as little as I could. 
You wouldn't see, you wouldn't give a damn what, what the cop thought about you messing with the crime scene, your, your love, your son. No, you wouldn't be trying to, I'm a good boy. I didn't mess. It was such fascinating insight. It's anecdotal, obviously, but it really interesting stuff. You guys, this is and not admissible. <laughs> no, but but good for us on the sidelines just to sort of, you know, some color. Uh, Vinny and Steve, thank you both so much. I really enjoyed it. Thank, thank you, you so much. Great to see everyone. Yeah, to be continued. Don't forget to check out Vinny on Court TV. He's always worth your time. Um, up next, a nurse comes under fire for the crime of believing in biology. You know, because we have so many nurses in abundance everywhere. Well, let's start firing the ones who just believe in actual biology. She's here next to explain it all. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue Panting, you're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Now we take a little trip up north to Canada. There's always something happening in Canada. It's like it's like Florida, isn't it? There's always some bizarre news story that could be our future uh, and kind of is already here. For the last two years, a nurse has been investigated and issued a citation by a medical board for her off duty conduct. What did she do? Did she take drugs? Did she do something that could impact her work as a nurse? No, her crime showing support for a beloved children's book author and believing that biological sex is real. A nurse with the nerve to believe that. She now faces losing her nursing license altogether and her livelihood. That nurse, Amy Hamm, is here to tell her story. Amy, so good to have you here. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you bet. So just walk us through, how long had you been uh, working as a nurse before this whole thing got started? Sure. I'm coming up on 11 years nursing. I've never, I've never had a patient complaint this entire time. Um, and in the past two plus years at this point, I've been under investigation by the BC College of Nurses. And I've been going through this legal process where I could lose my license um, oh my to God. work, as I said, or as you said, rather for my off-duty conduct and my views that humans cannot change their sex and children are not born in the wrong body. Um, and uh, the people who complained about me are people who I have never met, never cared for. And one of them remains anonymous to me to this day. Mm, trying to ruin your life. So uh, what kind of nurse were you? Are you? So I, right now I'm a nurse educator and I work in an acute uh, psychiatric and mental health and substance use program. I've done mm -hmm. some other types of nursing, including outreach nursing in the downtown east side in Vancouver, uh, which is sort but, of. But obviously we need, of, we, 
psychiatric nursing right now in the wake of the pandemic with all the numbers is more important than ever. And um, yes, I'm, I'm wondering, so, so you're working as a psychiatric nurse, you're there, you're taking care of patients. Do you have the same problem in Canada that we have here with the nursing shortage where they're just not going to nursing school? There's not enough coming up the pike is the same thing up there. Absolutely. We have that. We, we also have the issue in Canada where a lot of nurses were fired for not being vaccinated um, and they're still not back to work. So there's definitely every day nurses in every area of Canada are dealing with staffing shortages. We've had emergency departments in Canada completely shut down because we don't have the staff. Um, We we just don't have healthcare staff to Mm. be there. So it's, it's at a crisis level. So this got first got started with you um, in connection with a billboard. Explain. Sure. Um, I had uh, so I had been involved in talking about gender ideology for several years, writing about it, doing events about it. And then during the pandemic, you couldn't do events anymore. Um, a friend and I put up this billboard together that said, I heart JK Rowling. It was something that a woman in the UK did. Her name's Posey Parker. And after this happened, this was what spurred two members of the public to complain to the College of Nurses. Um, When people found out that I was a nurse, they accused me of being transphobic and said that I would not be safe to care for trans trans or gender diverse patients um, and that I should not be allowed to work as a nurse, that I'm dangerous. Hmm. And had you done any, when you said you had a group that was active before this, what was the group doing, you know, before the billboard? Uh, I was involved in a few things, but one of, I am one of the founders of a group called Causebar, which is Canadian women's sex-based rights. So we are a nonprofit um, coalition of mostly women, but we also have some um, men too. And we're across Canada and we've been growing in the last several years. We have hundreds of people who are involved now. We've done things like sending briefing documents to the government. Um, and right now we're really focusing on just building connections and talking to other Canadians uh, to just so that people understand what's happening with gender ideology and self-ID laws in Canada, which are really impacting the rights and safety of uh, women and children. Mm. Can can you just give us an example of how? Yes, <laughs> where to start with that? So there are so I many know. ways that women and girls are impacted by self ID laws. Um, in terms of, we no longer have rape shelters where, well, there's one rape shelter in Canada that remains sex segregated, but the rest of the rape shelters in Canada, if you ID as a woman, you're allowed to go to a rape shelter in Canada. Uh, We have male rapists, sexual predators in women's prisons in Canada. They're terrorizing female inmates. Um, Women's sports, as Americans know, because they've seen what happened with um, Leah Thomas. Thomas. Uh, The same thing is happening up here. Uh, Women simply don't have the right to their safe spaces anymore. Um, And then the whole other aspect is children who are being medicalized and told that they were born in the wrong body. And um, Canada has actually made it illegal under our criminal code for healthcare practitioners 
to do anything other than immediately affirm the stated gender of a patient, no matter how old or how young they are. Oh my God. And this is like a, it's, it's like this weird dystopia where you, you, it's hard to believe this is actually happening. This is a nightmare. The, the very quick and steady erosion of women's rights in, in virtually all of their previously safe spaces. Yes, yes, as, absolutely. We've even seen an example in Canada. There's a male who at one point was labeled Canada's youngest dangerous offender who raped a three-month-old infant and ended up in women's prison where there's a mother-baby program. So oh this is God. how heinous it is in Canada and nobody seems to really care about women. If you raise any of these concerns, you just get called transphobic and you, as has happened to me, you get investigated by a regulatory body and threatened to lose your livelihood if you dare to try to speak out or stand up for women or children. Mm. All right. So let's talk about it. So you say you don't, at least one of the complainants, you don't even know who it is, but somebody complained to the British Columbia College of Nurses and Midwives and why did they like what was the nature of the complaint that you were transphobe? Right. And why did they take that seriously? Right. It's like these are your these are your biological and political views. You're allowed to have those views or at least used to be the case. So why did they actually begin an investigation? The the B.C. College of Nurses did have the discretion to not investigate me. They could have looked at the complaints and said this is clearly politically motivated as they clearly are. Um, but they did not decide to do that. Instead, uh, they investigated me. They sent more than 300 pages of investigation materials that largely was articles that I've written and tweets that I've made. Um, and they tried to reach a consent agreement with me as well that would have ended this, I think, over a year and a half ago now. But they essentially wanted me to take a temporary suspension sign a statement of facts that would be released to the public. And it was admitting that I had said transphobic things and do some re-education, which as I, the hard left loves to re-educate people. Um, China. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm surprised that they didn't suggest that I needed to be sent to the gulags, but uh, so that was what they did. And I just said, no, I'm not signing this document. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm not taking a suspension when this is purely about what I have done outside of work. I've still been, it's been going on for more than two years. I'm still working at my job. My employer doesn't have any issue with me. I've never had an issue with what I do at work. Um, I think I'm a great nurse. And uh, so it's very clearly this is all about thought crimes and a regulatory body that's captured by gender ideology and thinks that they have the right to take away the freedoms of nurses and regulated healthcare professionals. Is there any defense if they're if they're this dug in on you're not allowed to have that view? You biological sex cannot be treated as real. Um, how do you defend yourself? I mean, aren't you just going to be found guilty? And, you know, like, how, how do you get out of this? So far, I've been to 11 days of hearings uh, with oh, another eight absurd. or so coming up. So it's I I've been told that there are murder trials that are shorter than this. Yes. Um, and it is 
it's really difficult sitting and listening. The experts from the college are offering testimonies such as, you know, some lesbians have penises and you just, it's like you're in the twilight zone. Um, so I, I'm going through this hearing process. I don't know when the hearing will resume or how many more days it will be. Right now I'm, I'm thinking it will be 19 days total. It could be more. Um, after the panel that rules on the hearing, they're an impartial panel made up of members of the public and nurses. They make a ruling and depending on what happens, it can then move into Canada's um, court system. It could go as high as the Supreme Court of Canada. Um, and of course, I'm willing to take it as far as it needs to go because I am not okay with the BCCNM taking away my right to free expression um, and every nurse. And they regulate midwives as well. And it's just so absurd that a profession that is mostly women, nurses and midwives and biological sex is so crucial to our work. It's just, I, I, like I said, I feel like I'm in the twilight zone and I will mm -hmm. definitely fight this as far as I have to, because this is just not something that happens in a free and democratic country. Uh, it's incredible to me that, that this thing is taking 11, now another eight days. Like how long, what, what is there to discuss? You know, they, I recognize they don't see it your way, but are you treating in this as a psychiatric nurse trans people who want to figure out whether they're really trans? Is that is that at issue or is that not a part of your practice? No, and I'm I'm a nurse educator right now, so I don't do a lot of frontline work, but that I've worked with countless trans patients, it's never been an issue, but no, I don't work in an area where I'm discussing someone's gender identity with them. Mm -hmm. You're just not allowed um, to have these views. You're just not allowed to have them. 100%. It's just about thought crimes. Wow. So this has been going on how long now? More than two years. I think it's at two years and three or four months. Has this cost you money? Have you like who's defending you? And just talk about what this has put you through as a human. Sure. I'm extremely grateful that my uh, lawyers are funded by Canada's Justice Centre for Constitutional Freedoms. Uh, this is the sort of case that they take on, and that's an enormous relief. I could have used my nursing union for legal representation, but I was worried that they were as captured by gender ideology as the college is, mm. and they've gone on to prove that, in fact, they are. So... Um, I knew that I had to find my own lawyers. I did. And I I mentioned I have been working the whole time. My employer doesn't have any issue with my work performance. They're not concerned about me being a danger to any patients. Um, but of course, it's very stressful having this idea hanging over your head for more than two years that you could lose your job and your livelihood and maybe even your home. I have a, two sons, one is three and one is six, and um, it's just me and my boys. Uh, I am responsible for them. So it's, um, mm. it's hard. And then you see when you're at work and you've been publicly labeled a bigot, people I've known and worked with for years who don't even 
look at me anymore. It's awkward. Um, but at the same time, I like to remember that this case is, I, I shouldn't take it personally. It's not really about me. It's more so about this hard left gender ideology. And I think this case would have happened in Canada no matter what. And it just happens to have been me that is doing it. But I think it's really important that we try to fight this kind of thing in our legal system so that mm -hmm. we don't let these institutions control us and take our freedoms away. That's right. If, if, if the courts don't stop them, then there's there's nothing else to do. Like they, they are the place of last resort for for rights that, that used to be afforded all of us. The right to think what you want. It's not to say what you want off duty. That's what's so nuts about this um, in, in a way that doesn't affect or have to do with your nursing at all. Uh, question for you. I'm told that uh, Dr. Miriam Grossman, who was featured in the Matt Walsh film, What is a Woman? She was amazing. That uh, your legal counsel yes. is going to call her. So what do you expect she's going to say? And will they listen? So I actually got some news last night. The college had tried to disqualify all of our experts. And so far, Dr. Grossman did appear just to speak to her qualifications. And um, the college argued against her being able to give testimony. Um, so last night uh, got the decision that Dr. Grossman has not been qualified as an expert and she will not be able to give testimony oh my in my case. Why? Uh, I can't get into the lengthy ruling. It's the it's the panel that made a ruling. And, you know, I guess what what I can say about the panel is that I'm really still hoping that due process is going to work out for me. And I'm trying to put my faith in that. Uh, we have one witness right now that actually was qualified, and that's Dr. Kathleen Stock from the UK. I'm not sure if you're yep. familiar yes, with her. That's good. Yeah, that'll help. Hopefully. But yes, I mean, Dr. Dr. Grossman is is unfortunately not going to be able to give testimony in my case. Yeah, they're they're trying to handicap your case. They're trying to hobble your case. So I'm wondering whether you've heard from J.K. Rowling at all. I'm just curious because that that's how it got started with the billboard. <laughs> um, you she followed me on Twitter, and oh, we've just yeah. So that's about it, and she's liked some of my tweets, I think a couple relating to the hearing as well. Um, that was, uh, that was very exciting when she did that. <laughs> she's that's something. obviously, I really love her. Yeah. Yes. And she's been that so respectful in her messaging. She's always so quick, even in her first tweets, um, that led to your billboard to say like, I will march with my trans brothers and sisters. I'm very much pro trans rights. However, refuse to deny yes. biological sex. I mean, it, it, it's like that, that she's been turned into this pariah that they're trying to do the same to you is deeply, deeply wrong. Yeah. When you listen to her words, it's, there's no hate in anything she has ever said. It's just incredible that people respond the way they do. They're yeah. not listening. Well, before I let you go quickly, uh, if, if you don't get to continue nursing, what's your backup plan? <laughs> I'm still thinking about it. I'm not sure yet, but um, yeah, Move I've got some ideas churning in my mind. <laughs> Move to Florida. That's what everybody does. <laughs> I would love that. And 
<laughs> I'm sure it's not going to be that tough to to get your nursing credentials down here. And uh, there are still some free states. So all hope is not lost. Yes. Amy, I hope that's not necessary. Oh, Good luck you. to you and your family. And thanks for telling us your story. Thank you so much for having me. Wow. Oh, my gosh. It's awful, right? Um, listen, thanks to everybody for watching. Thanks to you for joining us today. Hope you have a great weekend. Don't forget to download the show and go to youtube.com slash Megan Kelly to watch it. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.